Ryan Tannehill fooled everybody, including me, with this play. Texans act as if they might blitz. Tannehill in the gun. Here comes pressure. Tannehill, he's buried. He gets away. He rolls to his right. He throws downfield. Westbrook Aquino all alone. 45-40, and he's run out of bounds in the 36-yard line. Murray got him. What a play by Tannehill. He was dead to rights. He was being slung to the ground by Martin. He was on his back. He got away. What a play. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. And note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody. How in the hell are you? Is this the first show of the year? I'm, I, can't, I can't remember. I know I did one at the last minute at the end of December, I think. I don't think that was the first week of January. Huh. My memory sucks. Either way, Happy New Year's, the Stone on Air podcast. Yeah, one of these days I'll make a new open. One of these days, one of these days. Um, so yeah, happy new year. So far, so good. You know, so far not much different for me, really. Same old thing. Um, still pretty concerned about, about the way this year is going to go. The uh, 2020 also. 2022 kind of feels like we're going to have a repeat of, of that crummy year. Hopefully not nearly as as uh, as crappy as that year was, but it is an election year uh, where you know these midterms are really going to flip the other way. I would certainly imagine, and that's going to create a whole new circus, a whole nother brand of the of the the circus. Uh, the new season of the political entertainment industry will be a flipping at the end of the year and in to 2023. January 2023 will be here in about two minutes. It'll be here in just a few minutes. And uh, things are going to be bonkers by the time we get there as far as who the Speaker of the House is going to be, where the power is shifting, uh, how many... Oh, God, can you just... I, I can't even... I can't even imagine once the revenge tour begins. And uh, I mean, I'm not even like speculating and con- you know being concerned from my own original unique thoughts. They're, that's what they're saying. <laughs> that's what they are saying. The crazies, the Matt Gateses, the uh, the the Taylor Tyler Greens, the uh, Bright Bur- Brobert uh, Lauren out there, the uh, Marjorie Marjorie uh, of the West got a little thing on. Uh, a blurb on her I'll, I'll touch on in the second segment of the show, I think. I've kind of made a, a little bit of a shift here in the last few minutes. Um, not really going to do anything overly that uh, important today. I'm still kind of going through a bunch of stuff I haven't got around to getting to. And just kind of kind of be anecdotally talking about, you know, my life. So I guess really the exact same kind of show I do every week. I do certainly appreciate you being here and listening. So got the uh, the, got the Titans coming up this weekend. I am, uh, I'm nervous out of my mind about this. We're the number one seed. We host 
If we win, we host the AFC Championship. I can't go that far. I can't think that far in advance yet. I can only think till this Sunday. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. First time I've ever been to a Titans playoff game because they never are in them. And if they are in them, they don't get home games. And so this isn't for me just not showing up when they were in the playoffs. I haven't had the opportunity in my entire life, except for in 2008. I'll take that back. In 2008, they did play at home and I didn't go, but I didn't have tickets back then. And that was a that was a lifetime ago. My life was far different in 2008 than it is now. So it's going to be a big time Saturday afternoon. And just a couple things here on sports here for a minute. Um, uh, coming off this weekend, the Super Wild Card weekend, leave it to the NFL. They're taking one of the, if not the most perfect product, the perfect American product, and they're going to ruin it. They're going to ruin it. They're already legislating the fun out of the game. They're already, um, the, the, the talent pool is dwindling over the last generation or two, and this isn't NFL's fault. This is just what's happening. Less and less kids are playing football, and I wonder 50 years from now if football's even going to be the number one sport in America. Who knows? Horse racing, boxing, and baseball used to be the biggest sports in, in, in America, and, and now two of the three of those things nobody even cares about. Um, and baseball is a very regional sport. So I wonder, uh, also, so now adding this these extra teams to the playoffs to have an even bigger opening round. And it was it sucked. The games weren't any good. The, uh, the two teams, especially, had no business being there. And this is what college football's got to be worried about too. And they should be. I think they are because they've tabled any expansion on playoffs. Now they'll still do it because they need to make, or they don't need to. They want to make more money, and that's what it's going to do, at least for now. But as a fan of a sport, I don't want you to expand the playoffs to give my shitty team an extra opportunity to get in. Like, I'm not excited about being 9-7-1 and one and being in the playoffs. Now, yeah, I'm glad I get one more week of ball, but that that doesn't make that – that's just changing the rules to let, you know, more in. Like, that, that's not, that's not merit-based. I'm not into that. That doesn't make me happier. I want to be good. I want to make the playoffs because I'm good, not because of a charity case. And that was slop. I watched most of all of it. it was, and even the games that were close weren't very good. 17 games, everybody's hurt, everybody's tired. The season's too damn long. 16 was perfect. 16 teams. And the playoffs set up the way that it was, was perfect. And I get it. Everybody thinks they're, what they're used to is good and change is scary and uh, change pisses old people off. Ah, blah, 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 blah. I, I don't think it's good for the game long term. I don't really care because football is not my number one sport. It's my strong number two uh, for for certain. And baseball, I won't bore you with it. Whole, their whole problem's going on right now. But anyway, being Nashville this weekend, cannot wait for that. Uh, it's going to be very cold, meaning like mid to upper 30s, but bright sunshine as of now. And I will take a cool, sunshiny day in Nashville downtown any day of the week. Uh, really quick, and I'll lay out the show. Um, I went to the Mocs basketball game this past weekend, and it was surprisingly a really nice time. It was really fun. My dad and my stepmom, his wife, my stepmom, he just called me, and, and we were you know talking just about random stuff, and he's like, yeah, we're probably going to go to the Mocs game on Saturday. 
And we used to go to Mox games just all the time. My dad had season tickets when I was a kid. It was a big deal. I'm a, I am a big Mox basketball fan. I just don't care about college basketball anymore. And we've gone a couple of times over the last 10 years or so, but not very often. And they've started playing different start times. And it was a 3 o'clock game. And I thought, huh, that's, that sounds perfect. That's just right in the middle of the day. I'll, uh, you know, go catch the game for a couple hours, you know, bring a little whiskey airplane bottle in, have a Jack and Coke and or a Jim Beam and Coke. And, and um, you know, it'll be tolerable, right? And then you also get to say, oh, and I hung out with Dad, you know. So it's a, it's a good all-around feel. Well, it was more than just that. It was a really a nice time. They have taken the Roundhouse, which is an absolute just turd, I mean, of a, of a, of a building, and they have polished it pretty damn nice. I mean, it's a very functional building. It was built in 1982, back before any originality was put into arenas. The, the, the main point and focus on building arenas at that time was to fit as many people in the building as possible. Clearly, that's not something we need to do anymore these days, but there's no amount of money in the budget for, for the mocks to ever upgrade to a new facility. But there is uh, clearly enough money to put a brand new badass scoreboard in. Video board, huge video board. Think of the one at the Dallas Cowboys, if you've ever seen that. The way that it's 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 configured, clearly not nearly as big and not not as spectacular, but it's it's designed like that. Four screens on each side, the middle ones being more rectangular. Well, they're all rectangular, but you know what I mean. It is gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And I I found myself watching two or three of the of the plays down in the paint up on the board, and I had you know perfect sight lines to watch it on the floor. Um, all the lighting in the building has been changed to LEDs, so they can have all the flashing at the halftime and the pregame and the post in the you know the announcements of the of the starting lineups. And the sound system has been upgraded. It really really was fun. I I. I as soon as I got home, I started looking ahead to the schedule to see if there's a, a, another game that I could work in before the season's over. And I don't know that there is, but I, I'm dead serious. That was fun. So um, keep that in mind, especially, you know, kids love this kind of stuff. It's cheap as hell. I mean, it's very, very affordable. Um, barely five, ten bucks is going to get you a kid, probably five. I know it's ten bucks for me to walk in. First time I've ever bought a, a Mox ticket. I always had those freebies in my hand all, all those years, but. That was fun. Uh, let's see. I wanted to, Trump TV is back. I guess I hear he was in Alabama the other day saying that white people are being discriminated against the uh, the vaccine or something. Don't know what the hell he's talking about, but you can get used to that for the rest of the year and probably for the rest of uh, the first till the middle of this decade. Anyway, that's not going anywhere. Um, coming up in the uh, second segment of the show, it's going to kind of all kind of bounce together. Um, I've got a handful of different things I, I didn't get to that I'll just bounce around. Something on inflation that I want to uh, totally admit that I was uh, wrong about, very wrong about, just specifically and anecdotally, not to the grand you know scheme of discussing you know inflation and, its, and the history of it, just something that I uh, said I wasn't noticing that I now have noticed, and I'll talk about that in the second segment of the show. And the final segment of the show, and again, two and three will blend together a little bit, Um. I woke up one day here recently, one of the Titans, the final, it might have been the Houston game, the final game of the season, and I woke up early on a Sunday for uh, no particular reason, which I don't do very often, and I guess I was scrolling through TikTok, surely, because that's normally what I do, and I stumbled on a, on a Pulp Fiction uh, account that just plays videos or talks about it or fun facts or whatever, and for some reason I had this 
just a moment right then when I saw this little TikTok that I just flew right on through and I said, I need to watch Pulp Fiction and I need to watch it now. And I've got three hours till the game. Let's make breakfast and have a mimosa and uh, watch Pulp Fiction before the game. And I don't sit down and watch movies ever. And I certainly don't plan it out like that. And um, it it was a phenomenal. And I was I fell in love with it all over again like I did 25 years ago. And I'll just have thoughts on that in the final segment of the show. So we'll go ahead, and I had a couple things I was going to get to, but there's no need for that right now. Let's go ahead and do three pieces of audio here for you so I can get this segment wrapped up because I'll probably go a little long in the, uh, the, the, the back two-thirds of the show. I've got the coolest thing, the realest thing, and the worst idea. Uh, the coolest thing is Tony Kornheiser, one of my all-time favorites, uh, just him going, just being him, talking about the Applebee's, the like the commercial. I haven't seen it. Maybe I haven't. I just, I don't know. But the Applebee's new theme song. This is today's coolest thing. Hold on, let me turn that up right there. All right. And the song to this one was Sometimes You Want to Go Where Everybody Knows Your Name. I don't know the name of the song, but it played in Cheers. You know, making your way in the world these days takes everything you got. It, it's, a, it's a song that says, we're going to show you a bar that's going to make you comfortable. You're going to recognize your family in this bar, your friends and your family. And you're going to walk in there no matter what happened during your day. You're going to walk in there knowing it's okay. It's going to be okay. It's a great damned song. And now it's playing in Applebee's. <laughs> what? Applebee's? I'm not going to try and insult Applebee's on any level. I've never eaten at an Applebee's, but I'm sure it's fine. How do they allow you to use that song? That song plays in Cheers, a bar in Boston. That's the Cheers song. It's not the Applebee's song. Although maybe people who watch Cheers are now so old like I am that they don't even remember. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Very, 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 very funny. Um, speaking of funny, the video does this better, gives it a better feel for how cringy and gross uh, they were trying to make it seem as, as trashy people from Pittsburgh. But the audio will work just fine as well. This is today's, I'm just calling it realest thing. You could call it the coolest thing. You could call it the worst idea if you wanted to. You know, all, all over social media, especially on TikTok and Twitter, and I guess Instagram, I guess all of them now, um, the hype videos, right, that, the, that are professionally done by teams to, um, you know, going into a big game and it's a little minute and a half and it's uh, got, in, you, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, a lot of them are really, really, really good. Well, this is a spoof about going uh, the, the Steelers going into uh, their game with the the Chiefs this weekend, and it's just these two kind of scummy guys hanging out in like trailer parks and uh, uh, scrap yards, and they've got like uh, I, <laughs> I can't even remember exactly, but uh, just so you can get a little bit of a small visual, this is the hype video for the Steelers. This is today's realest thing. Are you ready, Steeler Nation? This is the playoffs. The granddaddy of them all. Granddaddy of them all. This is playoff football. This ain't the week to confront your brother about emotionally bullying his kids. Nope. Because this one is for all the marbles. Lace them up and strap one on. Because there ain't no DUI checkpoints on the road <laughs> to the Super Bowl. 
In the AFC North, we don't play that razzle-dazzle, pee-pants, smoke-and-mirrors bullshit. We play smash-dick, full-bush football. Pittsburgh, baby. Blue collar. Mm. Nose to the grindstone. Mm. I'm talking no-call, no-show for your shift at Ikea. <laughs> no more talk. No more predictions. This game is a jitney ride home from the airport, and the Steelers are the visibly intoxicated driver who's getting real pushy about taking you to a strip club. Throw out the records and forget the stats. It's like how your dad had to live above a garage after the divorce. This is winner take all. Because this Sunday, we're crashing your house party. And we're bringing 15 drunk dudes from IUP with us. And let's just say, they're having some toileting issues. These two teams straight up don't like each other. It's going to be a knockdown, drag out, BDSM duel to the bitter end. Because when that clock hits zero, only one team gets to piss in the kitchen sink. It's so good. Telling you, TikTok, the social media that keeps on giving. And uh, one more here, the worst idea. If we ever get back to where actual politicians and ones that are actually uh, somewhat coherent and um, not 80 years old and not TV reality hosts, if we ever get back to actual politicians running for president again, if uh, Tim Ryan ever puts his, well, he did it once previously, but it was a very short, short-lived uh, candidacy, uh, puts his name in, in the running for the Democratic nominee, whether he's still a younger man, so he could pro- potentially do it for the next 10, 15, 20 years, I will vote for him every time. I didn't write down a note to myself on this. I think he's talking about the, you know, no bipartisanship for whatever the hell it was, probably the Jan January 6th thing. I don't know, but here we go. Today's worst idea. I want to thank the gentleman from New York and the other Republicans who are supporting this and thank them for their bipartisanship to the other 90% of our friends on the other side of the aisle. Holy cow. Incoherence. No idea what you're talking about. Ben Gaza, you guys chased the former Secretary of State all over the country, spent millions of dollars. We have people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol Police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. What else has to happen in this country? Cops. This is a slap in the face to every rank-and-file cop in the United States. If we're going to take on China, if we're going to rebuild the country, if we're going to reverse climate change, we need two political parties in this country that are both living in reality, and you ain't one of them. Yeah, neither of them are really that close to reality, but uh, I hear you, bro. And uh, congressional, I'm really, yeah, yeah, he's House of Representatives from Ohio. Tim Ryan, he's got my vote every time. All right, that is all for the open here. Let's, um, I didn't even get to the crazy snow day. Uh, I could go on and on about my rant of the, you know, the fallacy that is the bread and milk jokes, which is just it pure idiocy, pure idiocy. If you listen to this regularly, you've already heard it in the past. Why the hell would you let snow come and not go to the grocery store and get stuff so when you're at home, you have what you want? Why wouldn't you do that? All right. That's it. That's enough. The smartest people in the world I know every year. Oh, you can, you're not going to get snowed in. That's not what this is about, dumbass. All right. That's all. Um, <laughs> we'll continue the show next. Stone on air. We'll be right back. He's cool. Stoneonair.com. Besides the great entertainment, I have always really appreciated the way you pushed back mm-hmm. when anyone tried to stifle you, shut you up, shame you bully you 
They tried it with the last one, with Once Upon a Time in the Hollywood, some bullshit about Margot Robbie doesn't have lines. Mm -hmm. And you do what I wish other people would do. Instead of apologizing like a little pussy, mm -hmm. you say, I don't, I don't agree with your assessment. If somebody brings up something that actually is legitimate, I'll even have a conversation with them about it because it, I'm actually into interesting thought and I don't have to even agree with you. Oh, that's an interesting point. Right. That's an interesting point. There has become a thing that's gone on, it seems like in this, especially this last year, where um, uh, ideology is more important than art. Way more, certainly to the awards. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, ideology right. trumps art. Ideology trumps individual terrible. effort. Ideology trumps good. Ideology trumps yeah. entertaining. There's two kinds of movies, virtue signalers yeah. and superhero movies. Yeah. And I know what you're saying. That doesn't sound like Kevin Kinney. Because it's not Kevin Kinney. But if I told you that that was Jason Isbell, you'd be like, well, it doesn't sound like Jason Isbell either. Because it's not Jason Isbell. Even though it's accredited to his new latest record, Georgia Blue, this is Sadler Vaden singing this song, the guitar player. He swaps lead with Jason for the 400 unit. And they did an entire cover um, album that was released at the end of last year. And Sadler Vaden used to be in Driving and Crying. So clearly he knows this song well. I'm guessing Jason Isbell as a connoisseur of Southern rock. Probably very familiar with Driving and Crying music. And this is one that they covered. And they play it regularly on this tour. And at the, the open there was uh, Bill Maher talking to Quentin Tarantino. I'll get back to that here in a minute. But this reminded me when I was putting this together the other day. I forgot all about this. For some reason, it came back to me. And I even remember who told me this. And I'm, I'm still pissed to this day that this person just told me such a stupid fake story. I don't think they did it on purpose, but they did it nonetheless. I was at Rhythm and Brews and um, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, whenever Sadler was playing with Driving and Crying, he's much younger. He's probably my age. He might even be younger than me. Eh, he's around 40-ish And uh, is at same, about the same age as Isabel too And Kevin Kenny and the, the, the rest of the band uh, Jeff and uh, Tim, original members They're like pushing 60 they, you know, they, they were making music in the early 80s And so he stuck out as being like the, you know, the kid And he was considerably younger back then, clearly And dude tells me this story This pretty elaborate story About how Sadler Vaden his parents were huge driving and crying fans and all they ever wanted was or, or pushed him to play and you know with a goal to someday play with driving and crying some kind of cockamamie ass story and i took I, I, and i thought it sounded like a hell of a story and i thought damn man that's pretty cool that's a hell of a, you know i love this band this guy's you know killer guitar player it's got a great story what's not to like well what's not to like is it wasn't real <laughs> It wasn't real. And I told people about it at some point. I regurgitated that goddamn story. You know, that's on me for not looking it up quicker. But the person I was talking to, I thought knew what he was talking about. He's kind of an industry type here locally. I won't out him. And it was a totally made up story that somebody probably did the same thing to him that he did to me. Oh, man, that's awesome. I can't wait to tell somebody about that. I just thought that was an interesting story to where the, where we've 
you know, the reality that we live in now with the mass communication of all kinds of just fakeness. Fake, fake, fake. It's the Seinfeld, Julie, Julie, Louis Drivers. Fake, 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 fake. And then always that irritated the hell out of me. One day I looked it up and I was like, there's no truth to this whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, that's Bill Maher having uh, Quentin Tarantino on and uh, on his show. And uh, I just love them both uh, to death. And I'll talk more about uh, Quentin and, and his movies more in the in the next segment of the show. And I'll have a couple pieces of interview that are, excuse me, audio that I want to play from Bill Maher's one of his more recent shows. Just because I like to do stuff like that. No particular reason. Well, I guess if there was a reason, I've been just kind of going down rabbit holes with Bill Maher here recently because I do that a lot anyway. Uh, he's coming to the Tivoli next week. I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the last show or anything in the past uh, or not. And I bought these tickets at the Tivoli, and I just I adore this man. Adore this man. Um, I bought them a couple months ago. And I looked at the schedule or the the calendar, and I saw that it was January thirtieth. NFL season's not even close to over yet, or maybe it's getting close to over, but there's still several weeks to go. And we didn't know anything until the final moments of the season. And I saw that it was Sunday night at the Tivoli on uh, January thirtieth, and I thought, well, let's see, let's take a look. That's AFC Championship Day. Well, I'm not going to not buy the tickets because I assume the Titans will be playing in Nashville for the AFC championship. I'm just not going to assume that. And that's still very much possible. Now, I'll gladly eat the tickets, give them away, give them to somebody else, sell them maybe even, I don't even know. I don't, you know, I'll probably just give them to somebody. Um, But so one way or another, next Sunday, I'm going to be enjoying my day. (laughs) One way or another. Uh, Let's see, a couple things here. So I mentioned the other week, and I did it very, very, very layman's. You know, I, I, don't, I don't try to get into big economic stuff um, because I'm not just, you know, other than the, your, your personal economic, you know, responsibility and financial world is very simple. It's not very simple on a global and uh, national, international stage. But I mentioned that, uh, I mean, I go to the grocery store all the time, just like everybody else does, and I now shop differently than the last year and a half uh, where I'm not just you know buying pre-made things because I used to be just a, you know I did cook I now cook so I, I I buy lots of different items that I didn't used to over the last uh, you know most of my life and, and so I started to get a pretty good idea of what everything costs two years ago if you're like how much does cereal cost hell I don't know I don't buy cereal almost ever uh, how much is milk how much is cheese I mean I don't know I don't buy these things I mean, I, a couple bucks maybe but now I'm buying regularly, and I have a better idea of what everything costs. And I said, I'm not going into grocery stores and buying food and feeling like, wow, this cost a lot more. This was just two or three weeks ago, and I meant it. Like I was like, I, I, I go every week almost, and I'm never feeling like, man, these prices are really affecting my shopping experience. I'm just not feeling it. Well, I've hit the grocery store several times in the last uh two and a half weeks because I had some gift cards. I had some uh, just extra cash. I um, I wanted to get into the new year a restocked freezer. I want, I, you know, stuff starts to get freezer burned. I wanted to get everything cooked and out of there and then re, re, uh, replenish it with fresh uh, uh, new stuff. I've also got a, a, a vacuum sealer thing. So that, you know, obviously will keep your food uh, good longer and all those kinds of things. Restock the pantry, all this stuff. 
So I made three runs in the last week, and for the first time now, I was noticing, Jesus, these prices are considerably higher. And where I first noticed it was Aldi. Now, Aldi is an interesting shopping experience. Uh, I have grown to like it a lot. I didn't like it at first because I didn't understand it. Also, their prices and their, their, their brands are just really, their quality and their low prices. And I noticed quickly when I was making that run about a week and a half ago, first of three, I did Aldi, Publix, and then Food City, all for specific reasons. And I was like, yeah, this does seem a little higher on a couple of these things. And then where I noticed it was is I get my sparkling water. I have to have sparkling water every day. It's like you and your coffee or you and your energy drink or you and your latte. There's no ingredients into it. It's all placebo, but I've got to have sparkling water. Just the the carbonation gives me a jolt. And and, and I'm, I'm dead serious. If I don't have one, I feel like I'm missing something. But I don't like buying it at uh, many places because it's so expensive. It's never on sale anymore because it's so damn popular now. And it never goes on sale. So the cheapest place to get sparkling water that I have found in, in the city on a regular basis is Aldi. And I know exactly how much it costs. $2.69 for a 12-pack. You're not going to get it cheaper anywhere else. You're going to get it more like three fifty to $4 to almost $5 for LaCroix. Uh, bubbly, those kinds of brands. Perrier, which is my favorite, has always been stupid expensive. I never drink it except for just every now and again on a, a special occasion, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. But I went over to pick up the water, and I buy six or seven 12 packs at a time when I go to, you know, when I stop at an Aldi, and it was $3.29 from $2.69 to $3.29. That's a pretty big jump. I have never seen the price of water at Aldi, and I've been going there for two, three years at least. I've never seen it change, never move up, never go down. It's always $2.69, and now it's $3.29. And then I noticed at Publix when I was buying chicken, way higher than I remember it being. Uh, Looking at beef, looking at uh, pork, very, very, very much a noticeable increase, and um, that is undeniable. And I basically said the opposite the other day. So a couple of things I ran into this past week as I was cleaning out my uh, pantry. My pantry just kind of turned into a dumping zone for the last five years of just stuff. It's a pretty big closet pantry, and so it can you can put a lot in there. And uh, so I started digging it all out and got it all cleaned up and over the snow weekend, and I found this invoice that I saved from my work day job, the beer business, and I've used this for segments in the past. I've had this for 20 years. This is dated July 22nd, 2002. The Express Smart, what we called Sergio's, just down the road here from where I live uh, on South Seminole, just through the tunnels in East Ridge. It's an invoice for a, for a big beer order. And I've got three, th- most of the stuff on here we don't even carry anymore. Like there's Stoli Citrana, remember that? Sky Blue, remember those days? Uh, South Paul has since been uh, discontinued. Ice House, we barely carry anymore. A uh, bunch of Best Ice and Best Light. We still have some of that stuff, but not nearly as much. But anyway, so I picked out three items and I created a, a dummy ticket at work today, an invoice to 
compare these prices. A case of Miller High Life in 2002 wholesale was $11.82. Today, a case of Miller High Life wholesale is $19. That is an increase of $7.18 over 20 years. I'll let you do that math. Is that a good percentage? Is that a bad percentage? I, I don't know the answer to that, but that's, that's the increase. And it's pretty much the same for all three of these products. In 2002, a case of Miller Lite cans, 24 ounce, 20 cans, 24 cans, excuse me, 12 ounce cans, was $15.95. Today, it is $23.61. That is an increase of $7.66 in 20 years. And the final one, Corona, in 2002, wholesale was $24.62. Today, a case of Corona is $33 even, an increase of $8.38. And um, I'm just putting it out there uh, as, as an example of clearly pricing consistently going up. That didn't just start the last year. That's just how this, that's how the, these industries go. And then one other thing I found also in that junk box was a, Game day parking for a Braves game. Does not have a year on it. I'm going to guess this was 15 years ago. Roughly. Probably. But game day parking at the Braves at Turner Field for 12 bucks, $12. If you find $20 parking at a, a sporting event nowadays, then you have just stolen your parking spot. I mean, you've got the best one there is. It's more likely going to be 30 and even more likely or very possible to be $40 in a city like Nashville. In a city like Atlanta, you might be closer to 50. I've heard people in talk from Chicago talk about downtown parking regularly costing $50. 12 bucks to park at a Major League Baseball game. About a decade and a half ago, maybe maybe 12, 13 years ago, something like that. Uh, what else was I going to do? A couple of different things. Um, shit, I'm already running out of time. Amazon profit plunges 50% year over year. This is from the end of last year. You know, of course they did. Everybody was finally not having to sit at home, and they weren't purchasing as much. So that's a little bit of a misleading headline. Um, but still a headline nonetheless. Digital addiction addictions are drowning us in dopamine. Who didn't know that? This is one I was looking for the other day. Climate change is distressingly real, but it's not behind all major weather events. I think I paraphrased this in my last show where I was like, yes, there is major issues with climate and what to do about it as humans that are destroying a planet. But just because there's a major event doesn't mean it has anything to do with that. And you look silly when that's what your first go-to thing is. And then I have Lauren uh, Boebert, the Marjorie Taylor Greene of the West. She has been arrested, and it's mostly petty stuff. She has been arrested. This is her rap sheet. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. 20 times! 20 times she's had citations or arrests. In Colorado, clearly most of these are when she was younger. She's younger than me, but not much. Um, what is some of this careless driving? Uh, I should have highlighted some of this stuff. I might just do this more another time. 
uh, seatbelt violations. Like I'm not nothing here is 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 insane, but it's just she's always finding herself in some situation to get in trouble with the law in a low level uh, nature, and that just seems odd to me. Failure to appear in court. Um, anyway, that that's I just thought interesting and, and worth pointing out and as i was i don't remember what rabbit hole i was going in, going down and maybe i'll look at this more at another time uh because i'm running out of time here but you know wikipedia has their just own dedicated pages there's a dedicated page to owning the libs <laughs> literally that's what it's called owning the libs the wikipedia page is a political strategy used by some conservatives in the united states that focuses on upsetting political liberals Users of the strategy emphasize and expand upon culture war issues intended to be divisive to provoke a reaction in others. And I just thought that that was, uh, that was something. There's an entire Wikipedia page to it. All right, really fast. Let's do this. I got two more uh, audio pieces I want to play from uh, Bill Maher. Sorry for my scatteredness. I've now lost the page that I wrote. My damn, there it is. My note to uh, what he is calling progressophobia. I couldn't agree with this anymore. Talking about how progressives, liberals, whatever you want to call them, will not acknowledge the fact that things are better in a lot of ways and a lot of things than they ever have been. And it's okay to admit that. Um, it's, it's almost getting to the point where like the super crazy millennial Gen Xers hate old crazy man, Bill Maher. Like he's getting more and more pushback. Even people at his shows, you can tell sometimes they don't know whether to boo or laugh or clap, uh, because he has a lot of ultra liberals cause they think he's a, he's one of them and he's not, he's not, he's, I'm, I love the guy more and more every day. And, um, I just want to play a couple clips from this real quick. And uh, then we'll get on to uh, even less things that matter, like crappy movies from the 90s, which aren't really crappy at all, but I call everything stupid. All right, here's the first one um, from Bill Maher. And yet there is a recurrent theme on the far left that things have never been worse. Kevin Hart expressed a view many hold when he told the New York Times, you're witnessing white power and white privilege at an all-time high. This is one of the big problems with wokeness, that what you say doesn't have to make sense or jibe with the facts, or ever be challenged, lest the challenge itself be conflated with racism. But saying white power and privilege is at an all-time high is just ridiculous. Higher than a century ago, the year of the Tulsa race massacre? Higher than the years when the KKK rode unchecked and Jim Crow went unchallenged? Higher than the 1960s when the Supremes and Willie Mays still couldn't stay in the same hotel as the white people they were working with? I understand, as best I can, how racism singes a person's soul so much that they might see it everywhere. But seeing clearly is necessary for actually fixing problems, and clearly racism is simply no longer everywhere. The wokes, the wokeness types are uh, absolutely, their hair's on fire right now every time uh, Bill Maher speaks his absolute truth and wisdom. This is the only other one I have. It's a closer to 90 seconds rather than chop it up even shorter. I'll just, just do one more. Um, he is kind of pointing to the millennials and Gen Zers. It does have that that uh, old man get off my lawn kind of vibe. Vibe check, brah. I could see how somebody would say that. But he is absolutely 
not wrong. Because here's the thing, kids. There actually was a world before you got here. We date human events, A.D. and B.C., but we need a third marker for millennials and Gen Z. B.Y., before you. It's telling that in a recent Harvard youth poll of Americans between 18 and 29, 72% of blacks said they were hopeful about the future of America, as compared to only 46% of whites. I'm not surprised. There are a hell of a lot of Americans trying really hard these days to embrace a new spirit of inclusion and self-reflection, and this progressive allergy to acknowledging societal advances is self-defeating, because progress and hope that we can achieve it is the product we're selling. And having a warped view of reality leads to policies that are warped, a growing belief in whiteness as a malady and white people as irredeemable, giving up on a colorblind society. Only if you believe we've made no progress does any of that make sense. I can name some things that actually are worse than they've ever been before, like the environment. But where progress has been made, it's not a sin. And it's certainly not inaccurate to say, we've come a long way, baby. Not mission accomplished, just a long way. And it wasn't just about race. It's you know, about a 10-minute segment. It was, it was about all the things, uh, or many of the things. Uh, gay and lesbian advancements in, in marriage, uh, marijuana laws. Um, but it just so happened that those audios were more, the subject matter was, was of race. So that wasn't really the target uh, of, that, of his specific point. It was a grander uh, overall look. And, and uh, if the Titans do not win this weekend... Uh, which I don't feel great about, to be honest with you, I, but I never do. Uh, I never do. Uh, but if they do not win, I will be seeing Bill Maher next Sunday, the 30th. All right, so let's uh, wrap this one up, and we'll wrap things up next, talking about things that don't care at all or don't matter at all, uh, Pulp Fiction and Quentin Tarantino all the way around, and I am fanboying it up. And I've, it's like I've been teleported back to 1990. Six or so, because I was in love with this guy for a few minutes, and then it just oddly disappeared. And in with re, uh, reflection and recollection, I'm I think I know why. I think I understand why I veered away and never came back. And I will share that uh, th- those thoughts and hypothesis, if you will. Uh, that's a stupid word, or at least completely unnecessary. But. What I've figured out about that and other things coming up next. Stone on air. We'll be right back. Oh, darling, what juicy gossip I have for our listeners. Stoneonair.com. Don't you hate that? Hate what? Uncomfortable silences. Why do we feel it's necessary to yak about bullshit in order to be comfortable? I don't know. That's a good question. That's when you know you found somebody really special. And you can just shut the fuck up for a minute, comfortably share silence. Well, I don't think we're quite there yet, but don't feel bad. We just met each other. I'll tell you what. I'm going to go to the bathroom and powder my nose. And you sit here and think of something to say. I'll do that. It wasn't that long ago I was trying to think of what that song was that was playing underneath that Jack Rabbit Slim 
scene in Pulp Fiction, and I just could not remember it. It's such a legacy song of rock and roll, the roots of rock and roll. And thankfully, I watched Pulp Fiction again recently, and it played, and I was able to look it up. Rumble. Link Ray. Rumble is the name of that song. Believe it was Neil Diamond did this originally. This is Urge Overkill. Biggest hit from the soundtrack in 1994. Uh, all I remember about that part, portion of it, because I didn't, I didn't have the respect for the, the music and the cinematography and the art, artistry of that movie just yet. I understood it was something like I'd never seen before, but I didn't understand the depths of it at the time. I just knew that I loved this band, and nobody knew who they were. They had one song, Sister Havana. One song that anybody knew. You know what? I'll play Sister Havana on the way out if you can't remember what it is. They had two albums that had any kind of commercial success at all. Really only one, but barely two. I think they had a total of about four or five albums. A couple of them weren't that good when they were independent early days. They're out of Chicago. I love them so much. And and I got I remember being so mad as a kid because I was like, Oh, what? Huh? Really? What? This is the Urge Overkill? This stupid-ass song? Now, I love this song. Now. But at the time, I didn't I didn't get it. And I was just like, and this song's written by idiot Neil Diamond? This is what it takes to get dumbasses to listen to a great band. I don't know how long I held that grudge, but I did for a while. Uh, now, in retrospect, I think it's one of the coolest things ever that they were able to have a smash hit for the the... One of the biggest movies of 1994, maybe one of the biggest movies of the decade, potentially of the the final 25 years of the entire century, as uh, Pulp Fiction really, really was, you know, was that big uh, uh, and that different and groundbreaking. And if you know, you know, I'm I'm not here to give you a history lesson. I'm just kind of reminiscing, really. And um, and then I started looking around and poking around. Uh, and just reading different things, and I just been lost in all things Quentin Tarantino for the last couple of weeks, and it's still it's still here. It's just I haven't had three hours to go back back and watch some some movies to catch back up on his catalog. He only has nine directed films. He's got many screenplays, many 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 more screenplays, but only nine directed films. So when I sat down to watch this the other week, it's the first time I had seen the entire movie front to back, and not on cable just basic regular cable television, maybe since the very first time I'd seen it. Probably not, but far enough back that there was so much that I forgot about. And even if the most focused you are on a Tarantino movie, you need a couple of spins. Like, you need to see this more than once to, to pick out all the nuance and all the, just the, 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 trick, the trickery, for lack of a better way of putting it, that he does with his placements and all of it. I mean, I can't speak film jargon, but... Um, it is uh, it, it is pretty incredible. And so I watched it and thought, oh, my God, I forgot how much I loved, 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 loved this movie. And then I got to thinking, but I've only seen like three of his movies. Why is that? And what I realized was, well, first of all, I watched it again. I watched it another you know, two and a half hours in and even picked up on some more stuff. That I hadn't noticed. But what I realized was is that a lot of things changed for me in the mid-90s because I was 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. Things were supposed to change at that at that time frame. 
Reservoir Dogs I've seen, um, and I will never see it again because of the one torture scene. I can't get it out of my head. Uh, that's one thing I don't like about Quentin Tarantino is that he regularly tries the shock factor. I don't love that. I get what he's doing, and it, it fits his brand, but I will never watch Re- Reservoir Dogs again because of it. But it is fantastic. That was 92, Pulp Fiction in 94, Jackie Brown 97. And I remember watching Jackie Brown when it was released in 97. I'm on that, like, you know, three movies in a row. This is my guy, QT, man, Tarantino. This is, I mean, this is where it's at. This, you know, you go, y'all go watch another stupid Batman movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it if you want. I'm over here watching the, you know, the think the, the, the thinker stuff, the deep stuff. Um, and I watched Jackie Brown again the other day. Holy Jesus, what an incredible flick. I mean, it is so, so good. Um, And then Kill Bill came out. And I'm not into martial arts or kung fu or any of the throwbacks to that kind of stuff that he is so much into, Quentin Tarantino. And so there for the next two years, 03 and 04, it's, it's all Kill Bill all the time. And I remember sitting down trying to watch it and just thought, I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. I'm going to give it another try here soon because I'm going to run through the entire catalog over the next couple of months. Just when I have three hours to throw away, I'm going to throw it away on a Tarantino movie. So I'll try Kill Bill again, but that was the reason I stopped. That At that time frame, at 16, no, that would have been 23, 24 years old. So he hadn't done a movie in five years from 97 until 2003. So that's almost six years. That is six years. And then Kill Bill, just I, I'm guessing at 23 years old when I was starting to think I knew everything, um, I said, okay, well, I'm done with Tarantino. I'm just, you know, I, I thought he was great. I thought it was going to be something I did my whole life, but I'm just not. And then I've never paid attention to another thing he's done since. I know they're out there. I've heard people talking about him, but I still have that Kill Bill taste in my mouth that I just, I can't get out in that memory of just thinking, ah, screw this guy. So I've uh, the latest Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I've been wanting to see that because I know what it's about. Uh Django Unchained, The Hateful Eight, and Glorious Bastards. I'm all of them I'm gonna watch over the next couple of months. But I wanted to go back to kind of what uh Bill was talking about with Quentin on the front end of the last segment. That when people come at you, he he doesn't even necessarily push back. He just says, I, I don't want to hear it. I, I mean, this is what I do. This is this is this is my style. This is the artwork that I create. If you don't like it, get lost. And uh, I've always appreciated that about him, too, and the little I already knew and the more that I know now. I stumbled on this. It's from NewStatesman.com. I'm going to read two, a little over two paragraphs to you. And um, I couldn't disagree with it. Well, I, I, don't, I guess I agree with a little bit of it, but here, here we go. This is about the, the, the Pulp Fiction movie, and this was back when it was 20 years old. 20 years on, it's time to admit that Pulp Fiction is a bad film. It's undeniably one of the most popular and influential films of all time. It's still being shamelessly imitated to this very day, yet Pulp Fiction, the film, is about nothing. It says nothing, and it makes you feel nothing. It has an adolescent aesthetic, and some of the dialogue could be from an early draft of Clerks, yet it's just so irresistibly, quote-unquote, cool. Travolta and Sam Jackson in matching black suits. Harvey Keitel, Keitel as Mr. Wolf. The dance in the diner, Big Rames being mean, also hip, also enchanting, but none of, it, none of it adds up to anything. And that is Tarantino's biggest flaw as a filmmaker. With the exception of the glorious Jackie Brown, all of his movies amount to nothing more than a few good scenes, while the overall narrative gets lost in the indulgence. 
Pulp Fiction is not a good film. Though I may have believed it when, when I was younger, my more impressionable days, when you had to like the film. On each rewatch, it lost a little more of the magic I thought was there the very first time I saw it. Of course, the biggest issue with Pulp Fiction is its racism and homophobia, Tarantino's flippant and excessive use of the N-word, and the fetishization of black people is well documented. There are nasty jokes and an unnecessary prejudice in this film, but Pulp Fiction has never been taken to task for it, mainly because the racism and homophobia gets laughed off with a joke or obscure pop culture reference. Hiding nastiness between perverse laughter is a disconcerting trait of Tarantino's cinema and has only worsened over the 20 years since the film was made. Last little bit here. I am just tired of it, and I'm tired of Tarantino and how he acts, writes, and directs like a 15-year-old boy yet to get a girlfriend. Pulp Fiction's impact is... Excuse me. Pulp Fiction's impact on cinema has been good. It really has. But it's exhausting to think you can still walk into HMV and buy a poster of the film or stumble across an episode of Family Guy and see the millionth homage or parody. Pulp Fiction isn't a victim of its reputation. It's a victim of being a bad film. Uh, I don't agree with most of that. I do agree with the fact that it is kind of about nothing. That part's not uh, 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 an erroneous characterization of the, the plot. It's because what Tarantino does so masterfully is dialogue. He is the king of dialogue. And it doesn't have to have a point. Kind of Seinfeld-esque in the sense that it doesn't have a point either. It's the king of, of uh, observational humor is what they were, Larry David and, and Seinfeld and the rest. It didn't have to have a specific beginning, middle, and end. It just was there. It just lived in its brilliance. And that's what made Pulp Fiction so great. Jackie Brown, on the, on the flip side, had much more of a plot. Uh, Reservoir Dogs didn't really, it had a plot, the robbery, but it, they never really explained what the robbery was. It was kind of like the briefcase, or they did, but I, I haven't seen it so long now, I can't remember exactly. But it's more about the dialogue amongst the chaos of the characters with all their, you know, their, their world, their plot falling apart. It's not really about the robbery, it's about the interactions of the people and that's where people get lost, I believe, in and and why the the silver screen and the movie industry is so pollutedly awful, and why television has become king because of well, that's a whole nother conversation. But the the reason the the film industry is so garbage is because it's recycled nonsense over and over again. It's you know the good guy wins, bad good guy, bad guy. You know the 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 female, the hair, the hero. We start here, we we're somewhere in the middle, and then at the end, the 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 hero wins. I mean, that's boring, man. There's nothing fun about that. And if you can't do it, you know, if you're doing something in an hour and a half, you can't dive deep into any characters. You cannot spread out and be artistic and and really layer uh, deeply uh, a story in 90 minutes. You can barely, really, can't even do it in two hours. And if you can do it in two hours, you should be able to do it for 10 hours and make it a long uh, storylined, uh, uh, character building television show. 
And, uh, you know, we dumb things down for the simpletons of the world that need to get a cheap thrill. And that's what I think most dumbass movies, you know, that are mass marketed to the morons in this country are, are just cheap thrills. Things like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and these other ones I haven't watched yet. They're not, you have to really focus. You have to devote yourself to it. And um, I love it. I love it. I'm transported right back to where I was when I was 16 years old and 17 years old and just in love with Tarantino. I can't wait to catch up. As far as his use of the, you know, vulgarity, uh, excessive, gratuitous violence, um, you know, the N-word consistently, you know, what he does is he creates fictional characters, fictional landscapes. It looks similar to real life, but it's not. There is no reason to, you don't have to suspend reality. There is no reality here. And that's where I get caught up in like, okay, this is bullshit, man. There's no chance you're getting away with this. There's no chance. You, you, your movie is being set up in a real life scenario and you're you're trying to present this as real, like Batman's flying around a real city and you're all real people in a real place. Eh, nah, none of that. Tarantino creates alternate realities. And generally speaking, he creates bad people. Really, really nasty people. And really nasty people act awfully, speak terribly, treat people improperly, but still can be damn entertaining, hilarious, and deep as it gets. And I love it. And if you want to in-bomb me to death, I don't care at all. I don't care at all. And the coolest thing ever is neither does he. All right. I think I said everything. Mostly, anyway. I appreciate you finding the show. Stone on Air on all social media is how you can get a hold of me. Still doing the uh, the daily podcast, the Chattanooga Drive-In Show. Find it however you found this podcast. Do that same thing and search for it. Uh, I'll just that's Jeff Style show. I just do some uh, production for it, and uh, we'll see how long it how long it rolls. So that will continue to keep this show to be a little bit more sporadic. I'll try to get it back to every Wednesday. Thank you for your patience. I love you to death. That's all I got. This is Sister Havana from Urge Overkill's Saturation album. I believe it was released in 1993. Their follow-up to that, um, or, or the, the, yeah, their, 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 the next record after that is just one of my favorite records of the 1990s. And uh, there you go. See you later. Love you. Bye.